0: You're welcome to turn to Psalm 6, that's where we're going to be, Um, but you're also just welcome to listen as I read from Psalm 6, and um, you may have noticed this, but uh, this previous Monday, our Monday Psalm was on Psalm 6, Uh, tomorrow, Bethany will be leading us in a Psalm meditation that we'll be looking at uh, next Sunday, so I just want to point that out, that all week you can be in this Psalm, it's going to be in front of you, you'll have it prior to next Sunday. Um, so you might spend some time, um, even with the Lectio, uh, engaging these Psalms prior to our time together. And again, you might hear something of our prayers in Psalm six, uh, that we just prayed. This is Psalm six. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning, Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled, they shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment.
1: Thank you, Jess. So we, um, we began the year immersing ourselves in the portraits of, of life with God that Jesus painted for us in the parables. Um, his words meant to sketch for us a picture of who God knows us to be. Um, Highlighting oftentimes the contrast of what we think God is and how he works with how he actually is and how he actually works. But also revealing to us, drawing us into um, what God expects and desires for our lives. That our lives should be lived off of and out of his life. That that's the desire that God has for us. And it was that experience of this life in Jesus, from Jesus, through Jesus, to Jesus, that we spent February encouraging one another to, um, to, to consider, right? That's what the last month we looked at. Life spent helping one another abide in the words and affections of Jesus, obedient to his way by loving one another and neighbor so that we might bear the fruit that comes from his life. That we might bear the fruit that comes out of life in God and with God, right? That's, that's what God longs for us. Everything we do, in fact, is done so that we are, might be ones who move rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in our response to God's Son, fully mature in Christ, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Jesus. That's why we get together. That's why we enter into seasons like Lent. That's why we do things that we do as a faith family so that we might be ones who mature in Christ, become fully developed within and without, and live the life of God in us, through us, for us, to him, and for the good of our neighbor. And it's this, this idea of living that produces living, right? This idea of living that, that perpetuates living, Um, uh, that is evidenced and outcome and is yielded by life in God um, that is what Jesus desires for us. That's actually what God wants for us, to live a life that actually brings life. In fact, it's actually this, um, this true, authentic, whole and holy living that Jesus says will bring our Father glory, honor, and delight. That it's abiding in him and the fruit of life that comes from his life through us that honors and delights and displays the glory of the one who created us, the one who we desire to honor, right? And it's in living life, full life, whole life, God's life in us that actually is the way that we demonstrate that we are actually Jesus' apprentices. Not by merely our actions and what we do, what disciplines we take and incorporate and all those kind of things, but the life that comes through our life his life that comes out of our life. A fruitful life, his life springing forth in and through our lives is what we are after as a people, is what Jesus is after for us. And this may seem kind of strange, or it may, maybe not, maybe it's just common language or whatever, but the Apostle Paul tries to explain this vision of life that Jesus has for us, the the life that Jesus envisions for his co-heirs, his sisters and brothers, his apprentices. He, He describes it this way, he says, The love of Christ controls us. The word control literally means hold us fast and together. It binds us, makes us steady and whole. It's not just that it moves us like a mechanism, like some sort of like um, an animatronic. It's that this is what makes us, keeps us together. The love of Christ keeps us together, holds us fast. Because we have concluded this, the one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. The love of Christ binds us because we've concluded that the one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might not no longer live for themselves, but for him for who their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself. All this, Jesus dying, us dying. All this, Jesus living, us living, is from God, that we might be reconciled to him. In order for us to live, we have to die. That's what Paul's saying. In order for us to live, we have to die. More specifically, we have to join Jesus in his death. More specifically, like Paul said, not just that we die, but that one died so that all of us die in his death. We let his death become our death so that in his rising, we might live new. The fruit we're after, authentic, whole, forever life, comes not to fruition through the efforts that we make to get what we desire. This is the irony, right? It's not that it comes through the efforts that we make for the very thing that we desire, but rather from abiding in his life, death, and resurrection. From letting ourselves, our lives, come up out of his life, letting his life come into us, through us, and our lives to be lived for him. Not our efforts of trying to get after the life we want, but the efforts simply to rest and abide in the words and affections of what God's done he says we are, how he's working. And it's this amazing grace of Jesus' life and death in us. Jesus' life in us. Jesus' death in us. Our death in Jesus' death that becomes our death and life that brings the season to Lent, that brings us to the season of Lent. It's amazing grace of Jesus' life and death becoming our death and life that brings us to the season of Lent. Now, Lent is a season, it's a seasonal word. I mean, we, we talk about the season of Lent, um, and sometimes we kind of think of that as just like, you know, little movements of time, but the, the, the term Lent actually means length. And it's simp- it was simply used in, um, uh, in Latin uh, to denote like springtime this, this length of time that was leading to spring, leading to new life. Like spring, Lent is a season of new life of the new beginning of what's in, in winter's cold appeared dead and dormant, now giving evidence of, of new energy. Foliage blooming, flowers blooming, fruit beginning to grow. It's a season when what was sown under the unseen soil burst forth in often silent but really magnificent harvest, right? In such a time, we and millions of Jesus followers around the globe begin the journey through the season of Lent together. That's really what Lent is. It is a pilgrimage, a journey, a travel undertaken with a clear destination in mind. It's not a meander. It's not just a, a thing that comes onto the calendar and then we're done. It's actually Lent is meant to lead us somewhere. It has a destination. Lent is a spiritual journey and its destination is Easter. What's the beauty of Lent. Like we know what comes at the end of Lent, right? That way it's kind of, it's a little bit like Advent. Like we know what comes at the end of Advent, right? The arrival of Christmas Day. We know it comes at the end of Lent, Easter. When we set our course from day one with our destination in mind, even if the sight is only a bright little speck on the horizon, we begin to walk towards Easter Sunday. For Lent's journey to new life, to the resurrection of Jesus, which happened and still happens to us, goes to the valley of the shadow of darkness, the shadow of death. That's the reality of Lent. That's the season that we walk in. That we know what's coming as we enter into the length of, of life and days in the Lenten season. But we, to get there, we've got to go through the valley of the shadow of darkness and of death. Only by passing through such a narrow path with our good shepherd, guide, and guardian do we come to the fully lit and spacious pastures alongside still waters which our Father desires us to abide in. That's the idea of Lent. That's the that's the reality of the Linton season that we're invited into. And the reality is we'd rather get there another way. We'd rather get there any other way, wouldn't we? Like surely there's got to be a path around the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Like maybe there's a Valley of the Shadow of Light. <laughs> the the Valley of Happiness, the you know, you name all these things, the Valley of Hard Work. The Valley the Valley of Good Effort. But that's not what we're after. That's not how we get there. We get there through the valley of the shadow of death with a shepherd who's near us and with us, guiding us and guarding us so that we might rest in the full lit pasture and still waters that our Father desires. And Jesus reminds us of this reality that life only comes through death when he says this in John chapter 12. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In just a few hours it would be true that Jesus would die and the father would be glorified in the son's death. He says, in the midst of this, in the midst of his own life ending, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, It remains alone. And alone, the seed can do nothing, right? The seed will bear no fruit. The seed has no life that continues beyond the seed's life. But if it dies, it produces more than its life and whatever might have been seemingly contained in this little thing. Jesus says, whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever loves less his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Again, if we're just after life in its fullest, we're gonna lose that. Because we won't die to self. We won't let ourselves die. We won't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But if we love less the life that we're after and love more the one who gives us life, then we'll find that we have life forever. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, he must follow me. Again, just like the good shepherd, through the valley of the shadow of death, we follow him. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Which is encouragement for us to enter into the valley, right? That Jesus is with us, he's gone through it, and this is what will honor the Father. Why? Because as Jesus said, this is how we begin to bear fruit. From this, following him, comes the life that we're after. The spiritual journey of Lent is our willful choosing to fall into the earth and die. To embrace a spiritual gravity, the downward movement of the soul, so that in our little deaths, we might live full life. Great Lent, as one uh, um, uh, theologian and, and pastor calls it, is a school of repentance to which every Christian must go every year so that we might live, bear fruit of the reality that death is no more. Christ is risen and life reigneth. Christ is risen and not one dead remains in the grave. We go through Lent so that we might experience that reality in fullness. Jesus' death is our death. His life is our life. That's the foundation of our faith, right? Paul would say that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we're all fools. If he simply died, then what's this thing that we're after? But if his death becomes our death and his life becomes our life, then man, we're a part of something amazing, something eternal. It's the very foundation of our faith. And Easter for us, honestly, as believers, is really the beginning. We, we kind of make Easter as a secondary celebration culturally compared to Christmas. But Easter, especially for, the, for us Jesus followers, this is it. This is our day. This is where life began for us. It's the source of life, the beginning of authentic, whole and forever life. And it's from this resurrection energy within us that we truly live. We live off of Easter. We live out Easter, resurrection and life, all year long. But the problem is we forget that Jesus lives, that he died and that he rose so that we might live. That we might seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and discover that we have all that we need through his death and resurrection, his life and our life, our his death becoming our death. Orthodox priest and theologian Alexander Schmiemann contends, we simply forget all this. All this reality of our life and his life. His death becoming our death. This being our hope and our faith and the foundation of everything that we're after. We forget it. So busy are we. So immersed are we in our daily preoccupations. And because of that, we forget. And when we forget, we fail. When we forget, we stumble. We stumble. When we forget, faith becomes difficult and less fruitful, or maybe not fruitful at all. And this forgiveness, failure, and sin, our lives become old again. Even though we're new, our lives become old again. They feel old again, petty, dark, and ultimately meaningless. And life feels like a meaningless journey toward a meaningless end. We manage to forget even death at times, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of enjoying life, it comes to us horrible, inescapable, senseless. Whether that's personally, circumstantially, globally, at some point we try to hide from the reality that all the life that we're after, even in the midst of enjoying life, is not really life itself. And so suddenly we're hit by it. Personally, culturally, socially, we live too much in the old and not enough in the new which is why we pray the penitential psalms, why we enter Lent and we pray the examine, why we fast. We follow Jesus to the cross. We enter into death, to the hour of his glory, walking with him through the valley of the shadow of death, not in some form of self-flagellation or self-justification, but so that we might live as ones no longer a slave to sin and death, but alive in Christ, So that we might, as our collective prayer has been teaching us, experience the maturity of salvation, personally, collectively, societally. We enter into Lent, again, not with self-flagellation, not with self-justification, but so that we might actually be ones who are free from sin. That we might live the fullness of the reality of what Christ has already done and still doing. That we might actually be people who live out Easter all the time. But that's what Lent does. The season of Lent helps prepare us for not simply death, but life that comes through death. So let's enter our first psalm together. Let's enter into the shadow of darkness and death with Jesus, our good shepherd, guiding and guarding us so that we might emerge today and throughout the season, beside still waters and bright pastures, living fully in the light and life of Christ. So what we're going to do just for a few moments, as we enter into this season of Lent together, we're just going to immerse ourselves in Psalm chapter six or Psalm six. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm six, because this is not up on the screen, the verses aren't up on the screen, but I would encourage you to if again to open it up to it and just for a few minutes we're just going to Enter into this psalm, um, we'll read the psalm together in a couple different parts, and then I'll ask um, um, a question, and just give some time to quietly reflect on that question, and we'll just kind of move into it, into that psalm. Just letting ourselves, again, with the mentality of letting ourselves be like the wheat, the, gra- the seed of wheat, the grain that falls into the soil, and letting ourselves kind of die, right? So being willing to enter that, to choose to enter that. Because what these psalms will do, each one of these psalms that we're in over the next several weeks will invite us into that. Because the reality of dying to self, it starts to some degree with admitting that we're broken and that we're in need. That even the thing that we're after, we can't get on our own. And so Psalm chapter 6 begins this penitential psalms um, uh, in, in, in Christian tradition. Um, And it kind of sets the tone for all of Lent and kind of helps us understand why we do some of the things we do in Lent. But the beauty of the psalm is it's kind of broken up into three parts. The first five verses are pleas, (laughs) prayers. But after verse five, there's not a plea again. There's not a petition anymore. There's simply a confession and a proclamation. And and that's the kind of mixture of what we're going to be in in Lent, is we're petitioning the Lord. We're praying and asking the Lord. We're confessing and we're proclaiming. So Psalm 6 verse 1 says this, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. The psalmist doesn't explain what's going on. There's no precursor to this psalm of what's happening in the psalmist's life, in the world around him, in his own soul. He simply recognizes that something is wrong and off around him and in him, and that what is off deserves in some way the, the destruction of, from God, judgment from God, because what is going on is broken and destroying and not bringing life. That's what the, the first one means. That something is off and I'm a part of what is off. There's more death than life. And there's living that does not bring life now or forever. Which that's what brings God's wrath, right? Not just simply sin in general, but life that does not perpetuate life. A way of living that does not lead to life in him, but leads to death and destruction apart from him. And that grieves the psalmist. But it's not named specifically, which allows us as those who get to pray the psalm with the psalmist to enter into this season and ask the Lord, wait and hear from the Lord, what is it that is calling us into the brokenness, the devastation in us, around us? What's off that we're a part of? then the psalmist prays. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. The psalmist prays this prayer that we all pray, right? When we recognize the weight of sin, of failure, of life that's not really life, of life, a way of life that only brings less life, death. What do we do? We cry out. We petition the Lord for grace. Only grace will stay us in such revelation, right? That's normal. Like when we feel the weight, what do we do with the weight? We proclaim back to God. We petition God. We ask God to be gracious to us for our lives are fruitless. When it says my um, um, I am languishing, it's literally I am withering. It's the same fruit, same like vegetation analogy, right? That... that there is no life coming with it from within me producing life, producing fruit. I'm withering. Our bodies feel it. Our bones are vexed by the darkness. Our bodies feel what it is that's true in the world around us and our souls when we recognize the weight of sin, right? That's why we fast. That's what leads us into fasting, our bodies responding to the spiritual reality in which we find ourselves. Verse three, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you, oh Lord, how long? In the Lenten season, we're invited to let our bodies and souls come together and fast and examine and lectios. The whole person our whole person's coming into the presence of God, feeling the weight of what is broken in this world and in us, and asking the question of faith How long? This is the question of faith. This is the most prayed prayer in our scriptures. How long? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, until life comes? How long, O oh Lord, will you be patient with me, with the world? How long until something else of which we long for and need comes to fruition? In this season, we're invited to fill the weight, to let our whole selves fill the weight and to ask the Lord, how long? But again, remember, Lent is a season. We know Easter comes. So we ask not how, Lord, how long with some sort of open-endedness. But but in the faith of what will come. And we'll get to that later in the psalm. But just remember that. We ask the Lord how long. And then verse four, the next plea. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me from the sake, for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol there is no who will give you praise. There is no one who will give you praise. How long, O Lord, The plea moves from how long, O Lord, into Lord, deliver me, resurrect me, save me. Why? Because you love me, because you're faithful. Not because I've done anything, not because somehow I've corrected the wrongs, made right the things, but simply because of your faithful affection. That's all. That's our plea. Deliver us because you love us, because you are steadfast in love. And then verse five is, in death there is no life of worship, no fruit springing forth from a branch cut off. So we need resurrection. We need new life. This is what Lent has us pray. It lets us feel the weight, calls our whole person to feel the weight of sin and brokenness, to ask the Lord how long, to cry out with all the saints in all of history, how long, O Lord, and to plead, deliver us, resurrect us, give us new life. That's the prayer of Lent. That's the heart of our Lenten season. And so for just a couple minutes, before we move with the psalm into the next part, from, from prayer, from the felt prayer of Lent, into the confession of Lent, let's just ask a couple questions. What makes your whole person? ache, wither, and languish. It doesn't take long for us to look around. I mean, again, we prayed for, for Ukraine this morning and you don't have to, to do much to, to feel the weight of sin in our world. We do everything we can to hide ourselves from it. Let's, let's be honest. Like We try to avoid feeling it like like um, um, Rebecca said, we sometimes dismiss things as headlines or when we feel the prick of our own sin and the weight of our own sin, we turn things on, go talk to somebody, go do something, eat, uh, whatever it might be, right? We, we try to avoid the weight. So for a few minutes, let's not avoid the weight. I mean, that's what Lent is, right? It's inviting us not to avoid the weight of this moment, but to enter into it. And so what is it in this season that's causing you to ache? and to wither, and to languish. Like the psalmist, what around you and in you. Because no matter what, even if it's just around you, even if it's the, the atrocities of injustice in our own country, the atrocities of war around the world, or like really difficult things going on in your own relationships, you're a part of it. We're a part of it. We're caught up in it. We're contributors to it in some way. And so for a few moments, let's just ask the Lord Let's just listen and wait. Let's be honest with ourselves and confess what makes our whole person languish. For what are you awaiting resurrection? What do you need new life from? Like what death needs to happen in you, right? Maybe that's a better way to phrase it. What death needs to happen so that life can come? What needs to die in this season? So I'm gonna pray for us, and I'll give us just about two minutes to sit in those questions. What makes your whole person ache? What needs to die so that you can live in this season? All right, you pray with me? Father, rebuke us not in your anger, nor discipline us in your wrath. Be gracious to us, O Lord, for we are languishing. Heal us, O Lord, for our bones are vexed and troubled. Our souls are so troubled, Lord, but you, O oh Lord, how long? How long will you be patient? How long will you wait? Turn, O oh Lord, deliver our lives. Save us for the sake of your steadfast love. Father, in death there is no remembrance of you. Lord, in living, in living in death. Who will give you praise? Entering into death um, always begins with please. It always begins with desire for grace and mercy um, and asking the Lord to not destroy us even in our dying, which kind of ironic, but often true, right? Like we, we don't want our sin and the sin of the world to destroy us, right? We want life, resurrection life. But starting at verse six, there's no more pleas in the psalm. All the pleas are done. There are no petitions from here out, only confession and proclamation. And the confession is this in verse six, that I'm totally exhausted. My only hope is something, someone outside of myself to save, to change, to rescue, to restore. That I cannot fix myself or my situation. Listen to what the psalmist says in verse six. I am weary with my moaning Every night I flood my bed with tears I drench my couch with my weeping literally it floats <laughs> like it's it's it rides the waves of my grief My eye wastes away I cannot see I can't see where I'm at I can't see clearly what's going on I can't see because of my grief It grows weak because of all, I grow weak because of all my foes. My eye grows weak because of all my foes. My ability to to be able to sustain myself, to be able to be steady, to know where I'm at and what to do seems to get eroded because of all the weight of what I feel. If entering into death first leads us to please, it then leads us to confess That we're just completely and utterly in need for something that we don't possess. That our eyes are weak. That our grief and our longing and the weight has caused us not to know where to go and what to do. That's a movement from plea to confession. But in that confession... The psalm doesn't stop there. It's not simply that, Lord, I want you to do this. Lord, I know I can't do this. It moves into a proclamation. In verse 8, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The psalmist not only bemoans sin, grieves it, right? Felt the weight of it has experienced the brokenness and the darkness that that keeps his bed afloat, but also denounces all that carries it forward. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Not just externally, but internally. Everything that would lead to my groaning and death and death perpetuating death. Depart, remove, renounce. This is what happens in Lent, right? Right? that we give up that which causes death and doesn't bring life, that which leads to death and doesn't bring life. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Why can we say, why can we dismiss all the workers of evil? Because, because weeping speaks. Weeping is the eloquence of sorrow. Tears are liquid prayers, as Spurgeon would say. Why can we say no to all these things that lead to less life than life in God? Because our hearts are aligned with his. Our weeping, our moaning, our begroaning, all that brings death and not life, aligns our life with the heart of God and he hears us. We know that we've been heard. Verse nine, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. The Lord listens. Our mourning allows us not to merely to be heard, but to recognize that we are heard. How cool is that? How amazing is that? In mourning, we don't just realize that the Lord hears us, but we, like recognize that the Lord hears us. We actually get to experience the Lord hearing us get to live out the reality of the Lord hearing us in our morning. The final word is a word of faith in verse 10. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The word of faith is that they shall be. They shall be ashamed. They shall be proven worthless, foolish, they shall get what's coming to them. Everything that leads to death will get what it, it, in the end what it's after, death. But it shall be. It's not is. It's not right now. The psalmist, the psalmist confesses that they're heard, that they're known, that God's with them, but that this longing for life, this full life and forever life this longing for resurrection, even if not in that very moment, nevertheless is an answered prayer. It's a sure thing that Easter is coming. Again, this psalm teaches us what, what Lent shows us the whole movement of Lent, right? To pray with faith for Easter morning in our life, in the lives of our neighbors and our friends, our coworkers in the lives of men and women across the globe who are experiencing tremendous suffering, in those who are parts of countries who would have no desire to be a part of what they're doing but are at the, the whims of forces, forces and people who, um, who seem to exercise more control than the love of Christ. So, we move from prayer to confession to proclamation but before we enter into that proclamation ourselves, before we confess ourselves, what needs to be confessed, before we proclaim what the Spirit leads us to proclaim, I'd like to read another's reflection to you. A poem that I think captures the heart of the psalm in our Lenten season. I know um, we, re- we read a lot of poems together and sometimes poetry is not the easiest thing. But I think this poem, again, is just a, it's just a reflection from Psalm 6 by somebody who's reflected on it. And who has tried to enter this season with us. And this is what Malcolm Geist says as he reflects on Psalm 6. And I hope will set us up as we reflect on Psalm 6 and enter into Lent together. He says, whose mercy wakes me at the break of day? I feel my weakness. All my bones are vexed. And all the faith in me seems worn away. As though I've lost love's memory. Perplexed by false complexities, I mime face part. I keep the book, but cannot read the text, unless you come and write it in my heart. Unless you help me read it through my tears and hear me out and hearing heal my hurt. And then listen to this. How could I think you punished me? My fears just magnified the shadows that I cast till you were lost in shadow too. Love hears my cries and clears the shadows of my past, flinging them back before his growing light. His growing light until I recognize his face at last. That's what we're after in Lent. That's what we're after in our exams, in our lectios, in our fasting, is that we might be ones who get through the shadow of the valley of death and do not lose the Lord in the shadows, but discover through clarity of our own deaths, our little deaths, that Christ's death has been ours, and our cries and our tears bring forth only the clarity of light that comes through Jesus, his face. So, for just a couple minutes, before we conclude kind of our focus time together, let's just ask these questions. What is the Spirit leading you to confess? Because again, Lent happens not just out of the moment of desperation of feeling the weight of sin, but it l- meant to lead us to a place where we confess completely our overwhelming need for someone outside of ourselves. At some point we have to get there. We have to want to die to ourselves. We have to choose to enter the soil of death so that we might have life. So what is the Spirit leading you to confess? And then what is the Spirit revealing you to proclaim? What faith do you have? What is the Lord bringing to your remembrance? It's true. For the next couple minutes, we'll just sit in these questions, and then we'll come back together for song and communion as we close out our time together.